0: Well, I want to say good morning to everyone. It is good to be here. Um, I've been in the Book of Acts, but this morning we're going to take a break from that just for this morning, and uh, and I want to talk to you. Uh, and I'm going to be. I'm going to start in the in the, in First Peter, in chapter one, and I want to say this today. Uh, glad you're here, and if you're a visitor, we're really glad you're here. We just want to say welcome to Sovereign Grace Bible Church. We want to say that again. So, I want to read the text, and then I want to get right into it. I have a, probably a lot of things, probably more things on my mind that I can probably get out in adequate time. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to begin at verse 3, and I'm going to read down through verse 9. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, this morning I want to come to you, and I pray, God, today, I, I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, for grace, for strength, for power, Lord, to proclaim your word. And my prayer, God, is this morning that everyone under the sound of my voice, God, that, that your word as it goes forth, that it would penetrate our hearts and our minds, Lord. And it would stir us up, Lord, to a renewal of our relationship with Christ. I pray this morning, God, that in all of these things, Lord, I pray, God, that you would be glorified. Again, Lord, that your word would be proclaimed and that Jesus Christ would be exalted. We pray for your will to be done, nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had, I've had some thoughts on my mind the past several weeks. <clears throat> And I want, I want to read this, and I want to get into it. I have so much on my mind. I hope you are praying with me that this could come out clear, it would come out in a, in a concise way. I'm going to begin here, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, to understand what Peter is doing, he's writing to a group of believers and persecution has started happening to the church. And so Peter is writing to encourage them. He's writing to them to continue steadfast in the pursuit of Christ, in the faith. And so he, he, he's going to bring up these, these things that God has done for us. His great mercy. By that, look what He's done. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. If you're sitting here today and you know Christ as Savior, you've been born again. You're not the same person that you were. And you've been born again to a living hope. We are not people without hope. We are not people that that worship a dead person or a a rock or a tree that's covered in gold. But we've been born again into a living hope. How does he say it? He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In my opinion, the most emphasized part of the gospel all through the book of Acts. The very fact that Jesus rose... From the dead. He is alive. He is our hope. We have been born again unto Christ. Look what else he says. He says. To an inheritance. That is imperishable. When we think about inheritance sometimes. Sometimes we have family that has a lot of. Things, a lot of money, and there's an inheritance that's coming. Can you imagine what our inheritance is like? Everything that Christ owns, we're joint heirs with Him. We're going to inherit all of these things. How many of you in here today are tired? How many of you are here today and you don't feel the joy like you used to feel? Can you imagine the day that's going to come when? You're going to have complete and perfect joy for eternity. There's never going to be a down day. There's never going to be a day when, you know, this morning Susan and Danny said, that's how I was doing. I said, well, for being old and decrepit, not so bad. Those days aren't going to happen no more. We can just think of the physical and the emotional things, the things we deal with, the anxieties, the worries. All of those things are gone. We're going to inherit something Far, supremely, above and beyond that perfection. And then all of the things that we... Everything. I mean, how many times have you thought, Oh, I wish I could go do this, or I had the money to go there. We will be able to experience everything, and it will never become dull or boring. He says this inheritance, he says it is imperishable not going to rust it's not going to go away nothing like that he says it is undefiled there's not, it's not going to be stained with the things of this world it's unfading the, 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 the idea there's like how a, f- a flower fades away you'll, you'll never be your, your inheritance will never fade away and right now it is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Now, here's here's the problem. I read this passage to you. My question is, do you rejoice in those things? Is this just the time of day and we come to church and there's a sermon preached? Is that what that is? How many times have you... Have you thought, there's been those times you heard the gospel presented and it shook you to the core. You've heard songs and it just broke you. I mean, you're driving down the road and you're hearing a song proclaiming the glories of Christ and everything He's done for you. And then, years later, you hear the same song and you don't even pay attention to it. You hear the gospel preached. And you, you're like, oh, I missed that part about Him being crucified on the cross. Do we really rejoice today? Do we really believe that we've been begotten again, born again to a living hope? Because listen to this next part. In verse 6, He says, In this you rejoice, though now... For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. See, it's this section right here that I want to deal with today. I look around and I don't see anyone that is free of trials. I remember when I first became a believer... My mind was this: no more trials. I am in Christ. No, all all that's done with. No, it's just now recognize what trials were. But look what he says about our trials. He says we've been. We sometimes that we are grieved. Sometimes we are going through hard times. But he says so that. Here's what your trials are for. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. Oh man, it's so easy in Oklahoma to say I'm a believer. Matter of fact, some some athletes and some celebrities are, are making being a believer kind of fashionable, kind of popular now. I mean, you get one guy in Hollywood that says, I just want to, you know, praise God. It's like, whoa, he's a Christian. Everybody jumps on bandwagon with him. And he may not be a believer at all. It's easy to say we're believers, but I want you to know something. That trials are going to prove out one of two things. Either you are a believer or you're not a believer. If you're a professing believer, but you're not real, these trials are going to come. You're going to see what it says, how to respond to it. And you're going to say, I don't want no part of this. I didn't sign on for this. But if you're a true believer, he says these trials are going to test the genuineness of your faith. And he talks about your faith like this. Your faith is more precious. These trials testing your faith. It's more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So the next time you're going through a trial, and it may be today, know this, that the testing of your faith... It is more valuable. It is more precious than all the gold in the world, even though you're going to go through the fire. And as I scan and I look at each of you, there's things coming to my mind as I see your faces, the trials that you have gone through, maybe you are going through. And oftentimes, especially as new believers, and even as as should-be older, mature believers, we say, Why me, Lord? God's saying, because I've chosen you to endure this for my purpose and for my glory. Now, look what he says. He says that it may be tested by fire, but he says that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That once we've gone through the trial, once we've lived this life, once we see Jesus face to face... That that all of the things that we went through, that it's going to be found to result in praise and glory and honor. That's what He's going to bestow upon us as believers. And He's going to say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think He's going to say, well done, Nate Carper. Well done, Darren Jolly. And then he says, though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Ah, the evidence of faith. The very fact that you have faith is the evidence that you are a believer. That faith isn't even from you. God has given you faith. It's a gift. And we've never seen our Lord face to face. But oh, how we believe Him. We believe in Him. We believe Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Is that true of you today? Do you rejoice with that joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory? If you want to... Follow along with me. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 18. I'll be reading something out of there in a moment. What has stirred me up is this. I found myself praying in recent months, walking down the road and praying. And I found myself walking down the road less, far less than I used to when I was much younger, And I thought back in my life, and I thought, how is it that when I was so young and I knew nothing, how is it that I was filled with so much joy, joy that is inexpressible, And now I'm far older. I know far more than I did then. And I walk down the road trying to pray and I find my mind drifting into all kinds of things. As I was going through this, I was scanning through sermon audio and I'd heard of this old brother named Vance Habner. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. He's my kind of preacher. He's kind of a common-sense, simple guy. And I'm scanning through his sermons. And there was a sermon called, Have You Lost the Wonder? And he tells of an old preacher. And I don't know about this guy, so if you know he's a kind of a loon or something, just I don't know about that. I'm just going to repeat how he told it. And he talked about a, a, this preacher that was far older than him. His name was Rodney Gypsy Smith. Everybody called him Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith lived to be quite old. And at at the age of around in his 80s, I believe, he was preaching somewhere and, and and somebody had an interview with him. And this Gypsy Smith was this guy that was always full of fire. He was always full of the love of God, the joy of the Lord. And even at an older age, I mean I'm talking in his 80s. They said, "Gypsy, after all of these years of preaching, how is it that your the preaching is still fresh? It's it's vibrant." And he said, "I've never lost the wonder." What was he talking about? He'd never lost the wonder. Of who Jesus Christ is. And that is what is setting my heart on fire for the message today. You see, here's the thing. Have you lost the wonder? I wanna I want to tell you something just just a couple days ago, I I want to ask you something. Do you remember when you first became a believer? Do you remember what that was like? I mean, when you went from not understanding what this guy's talking about to all of a sudden, it opens up. And I mean, it's like you are the most excited person there is. I was listening to a testimony of a young lady named Zoe Williams from England. I've met her briefly. I've known her husband a little bit better. He's a pastor in England named Kevin Williams. And I listened to her testimony and she talked about growing up and going to church, but then becoming an atheist because of things she was taught in school. And, and then one day, her husband just kind of, he, he leaves for the day, and he comes back, God's working with him. And so they start going to church, and anyway, they end up both professing to be believers. Now, I think he was really saved, but by her testimony, she was not. Her husband ended up becoming a pastor, and he was pastoring a church. And she began to realize that the reality of Christ was not real in her. And she began to seek the Lord. And one morning she woke up and she said this burden was gone. She said it was like when you read Pilgrim's Progress and that burden that he was carrying and he finally just, he, he drops it at the cross. And he's able to go through the gate She said it was like that. It was gone. And she said, I was so, she said, I was so excited. She said, I couldn't contain myself. And she ran upstairs and she wanted to tell her husband. She says, but I can't tell Kevin because he already thinks I'm saved. She said, but I had to tell him. And he's looking at her and man, they're rejoicing. And then she says this. She said, the very next week, She said, I found myself sliding down. She said, I was up here and, and I was starting to slide down. I, I was already neglecting the reading. She said, I thought, what is happening? That's a question that a lot of us have, isn't it? What is, what's happened? How come the gospel doesn't move me like it did? How come I can't stay up there on that mountaintop experience always? And a lot of you sitting here today, you're going through this very thing right now. And you're looking forward to the end when I say, this is what's going on. But let's look at this for a moment. How many of you, how many of you enjoyed Miles McKee when he was here? Wow, you people didn't raise your hand, shame on you. No, I know you did. He was, he was unusual, wasn't he? Do you know that Miles McKee is 67 years old? And the one thing that really stood out was he was in love with Jesus. He wanted to talk about Jesus and he was excited to talk about Jesus. I would say Miles is one of those guys that has not lost the wonder. Let's, let's just look at a couple of things. When me and my wife moved to Montana, before we moved, we went on a couple of trips. Now, for those of you that's never been there, I feel bad for you. Because if you ever got to go, you would get up there and you'd get in those mountains and you'd go, wow. I mean, it's just breathtaking. Breathtaking. I mean, when we first went on our first couple trips, we were those people that later on, after we moved there, we'd be like, get out of the road, you tourist. We would stop. There was deer in the river. They're not running off. We're getting the mountains in the background. I mean, we're going down to a place at the end of the road called Woodbine. We hike up a trail in the mountains and we see a waterfall coming out of there. And it was just amazing. And then we moved up there. We were those people that got to move there and and then we began to live there and we had to go to work and we had to pay bills and we had to raise children and and it wasn't until we would have friends come up and visit us that all of the wonder was new again. They'd say, Hey, can we go down and do this? Like, Yeah, sure, let's go. We'll take it. It's like takes you know, we'll be done in a little bit. We'd lost the wonder. Let me ask you this. For everybody in here that's married. Do you remember, men? Do you remember when you set your eyes on your bride? Oh, the wonder. Randy Tyler went to Stratford. His wife was in Asher. He honestly did not have time to drive to Asher at lunch break. Buddy had a hot rod Camaro. Even the authorities of the school at Asher threatened him, couldn't keep him away. It's a true story. He just said that. I don't know all the details, I don't know the speed limit he was going. But you see, people married for 20, 30 years, sometimes less than that. Where's the wonder? What's happened Date night what what is that? The pursuit it's just gone. I don't know what happens sometimes What about this one? this to you matthew chapter 18 beginning in verse 1 he says at that time the disciples came to jesus saying who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven isn't that what happens to a lot of us we become a christian and we want to we want to start going up the ladder of success. We want to start outdoing other people to be recognized and things like that. We want to get in ministry and we want to do this and and pastor this and write books and get called to speak at conferences and all that. And when we introduce the conference speakers because they obviously are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because they say this is Dr. so and so. He's got a PhD in this, he's got an MDiv in that and he is so intellectual and probably the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he, and he preaches like he's been starched. He's very intellectual. And he can explain all the words to you. No, Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is what he did. He called to him a child. And the word child there is talking about basically like a toddler. One that's just kind of wobbling. A little out of infancy, but not quite, you know, got the, you know, the balance down. And Jesus calls this child to him, and he put him in the midst of them. And said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to know who the greatest is? It's the one that has that childlike faith. Church, listen to me. We need to have a childlike faith. We do not need to have a childish faith. There is a difference. The greatest aren't those that are the most intellectual and the most popular and all that. They might be if they have the childlike faith. But, but the thing of it is, is this, you know, oftentimes how many of us as adults, we, we look and we see little babies and we've, you know, we've had to go out and work and we've, you know, we're getting older. You start, things start breaking down and you go, Oh man, if I could just trade places with this guy. This is the life. Now, here's the deal. We can't go back and, you know, start toddling around. We can't act like that. We can't act like, oh, would you hold me? We can't do that, right? That would look ridiculous. We would think, you know, something would be obviously wrong with you. But we don't have to ever leave the childlike faith. What is the childlike faith? Well, let me say this first. As Christians, listen to this. As Christians, we do grow in knowledge and understanding and maturity. But we're to never outgrow childlike faith. Often when the wonder is gone, we want to go back to the beginning, much like when life is hard and we want to return to childhood. We cannot return to infancy, but we can return to childlike faith. I just said the same thing in a lot better way. So childlike faith is this. It's a complete dependence upon God. The same as this little toddler would have a complete dependence upon his mother and his father. He's not sitting there worrying about where the next meal is coming from. He's not worrying about what he's going to wear. He's not worrying about where he's going to sleep. He has a complete and utter trust and dependence upon his parents. Why is it that we move away from that? Why do we move away from that? Matter of fact, this little toddler, he has no desire for greatness. He is perfectly content and happy with his parents. That is the greatest place he knows of. No desire for greatness. There's no sense of achievement. His greatest desire is to be in the arms of his parents. The greatest desire for you is to be in the arms of Christ. This little child knows beyond a doubt that he is loved. Christian, today, do you know that you are loved? Childlike faith anybody ever heard of Helen Rosevere? I know most of you should have, because I've talked about her here before. but you should have. Maybe you forgot. Helen Rosevere was a missionary from Northern Ireland in Africa. She was a nurse, and she was a, either that or a doctor, I can't remember, but she was in medical, and they dealt a lot with just the people, the, you know people, the orphans and things. Well, she had a situation one time in Africa where a mother was expecting, and she gave birth prematurely, and the mother died. And so they have this little premature baby. And Helen knew this. They had no incubator. Hey, bud, you better sit down. You. She had no incubator and the night would get so cold, she knew the baby would not make it through the night. They didn't have hot water bottles in that time in Africa because the rubber would decay. It would, it would wear out really fast, so they didn't have them. So as they gathered around to pray for this baby, there was a 10-year-old little girl. And prayed like this. She says, God, we can't wait till tomorrow... We need this hot water bottle today, or this baby's not going to live through the night. And God said, you're going to give us a hot water bottle. Would you give her a baby doll so that she'll always know how much you loved her? Now, Helen Roosevelt is the believer. She's the Christian. She's the missionary. Her words were, how could I say amen to such a prayer? She'd been on the mission field for four years and she had never received a package from home. If you were to receive something from home, it would take five months for it to get from Ireland to Africa. And this little girl has prayed, we need it today, not tomorrow. A few hours later, she gets word that you have a package. You have a package you need to pick up. The kids are all excited. Helen's... Nervous and excited. Surely not, she says. They get there and they tear into this package. And she says, I felt in there. And she says, I felt this rubber membrane. Here's another thought who in the world is going to send a hot water bottle to Africa? She reaches in. And she says, there's a hot water bottle. And the little girl who prayed, she said, well, if God sent the hot water bottle, then the baby doll's in there too. And she dove in the box and came up with a baby doll. I'll confess to you today, I don't have that childlike faith. I would have been there with Helen Rosevear saying, what are we going to do? To have a childlike faith. To live in the wonder of who Christ is. So what happens? Why, why do we lose this wonder? Well, I've got a few reasons. I'll go through them briefly. If you don't know what I'm talking about today, if this seems foreign to you, and you're telling me you're a believer, there's a chance you've never been truly born again. If you don't, if these, if this is just, what are you talking about? You may have never been born again that you would never know what I'm talking about. I remember several years ago I was going to Arkansas and I was dealing with a, a brother and his wife and his, his wife was my wife's cousin and, and he had been born again and, and she would say, I just don't get what y'all are saying. It's so different about what I, what we say. And so we would go over the gospel, and she'd say, I I get all that. Have you ever been there when you know everybody in the room is getting it but this one person? And it was about three months later, this friend of mine called me, and he goes, Guess what happened? He said, Shelly got born again. All of a sudden, the light turned on, and she understood. She saw it like she'd never seen it before. She knew all the facts, but she had never seen the wonder. So maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're not born again. The second one is this. If you want to turn over to Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read there. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. He says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village... I'm in verse 38, and it says, And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Maybe busyness. That seems to be something that we all seem to be dealing with today. How's it been going? I've been busy. Seems to be the first thing that comes out of our mouth. Do we have to be that busy? Are we piling things on our plate that we really don't need? And let me say this. Sometimes that busyness can be ministry. We can be so busy in ministry that we're not sitting at the feet of Jesus, just learning from Him, just being in His presence. It's an odd feeling when you're going to preach somewhere and it dawns on you, I haven't even prayed about this because I've been so busy. That's sheer panic mode. True story. I meant to pray about it. I meant to set those times aside, but I got busy. And I look around at everybody and I'm like, why aren't anybody helping me? So, one of the things is we can just be busy, and we can lose the wonder of Jesus Christ. The next one is the world. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. You might want to tighten up your belts for this one. John chapter 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, Do not... Love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you hear that? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In modern day Christendom and even evangelicalism, and I just have to use those terms kind of loosely. The church has not been able to figure out how to make people really become disciples of Jesus. Partly because we preach a watered down gospel and we, we just want to make numbers. So anybody that we can get to say a prayer, we're going to popishly declare you saved. So now you're a believer, don't ever doubt it. Write that date down. Now we're going to go to discipleship class and all that's really going on is we're trying to disciple goats to become sheep. That didn't work. So what do we have to do? Well, let's make the church look a lot more like the world. You ever heard of the purpose-driven church? That whole book is about let's appeal to the world on things they like, get them to come, and say, oh, bait and switch thing we'll bait you with one thing and we'll try to switch it on you pragmatism to the core if you love the world the love of the father is not in you you may not be a believer what is the world? well all that's in the world is this it's the desires of the flesh it's everything about me and this is where it may get tough for some of you. Just how awesome are you anyway that we need to see 1,000 selfies of you? Why do you do it? Well, you've been feeling bad about yourself. And you need somebody to come along and say, oh, you just look so awesome, Jeremy. Thanks, man. That's the most humble thanks, by the way. Are you kidding me? We post things and we're constantly looking to see how many people liked it. I got more likes than Lynn got. Lynn's like, what's Facebook? It's about everything that makes me feel good. People tell me how wonderful I am, how beautiful I am, all that. That's what the world says. And other things. It's, it's anything of the flesh. He says, it's the desires of the eyes things that look good that everybody likes to see I mean we all get caught up in it don't we we drive by a house we go whoa that house looks so awesome we got to have one like it and basically at two o'clock in the morning you're in the dark in a room you can't see nothing anyway and you know what the biggest thing you get out of it is somebody drives by and goes that house looks pretty good my wife says that and I'm like I didn't even notice that's all you get out of me. But we got to have these things, the desires of the eyes, the, the material things, the bling. It's all that that speaks to us, right? we got to have all that. we got to have, he says, the last one is, he says, in the pride of life. That's this arrogant, I'm in control of everything I do. Do you remember a guy named uh, Nebuchadnezzar? Look what I have built. We've got p- preachers today, look at the church that I have built. The pride of life. That may be why you've lost the wonder. You've taken your eyes off of Jesus. And this voice over here is calling out, saying, look at us. Look at all the glitter over here. Look at all the glamour. You can have wealth. You can have fame. It is the complete opposite of the gospel message. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if anybody desires to do that, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. Do you know what that means? You're going to your death. You're dying to your own desires. You're You're dying to everything that you were about. And you're saying, I live for Christ. The American dream is the complete opposite of the gospel. It's about me. It's about what I can get. It's about what I can do. How many people get divorces today because I've had it rough. My kids were horrible. My husband didn't treat me right. I've got to find myself. Well, I can tell you right now, you're lost. You're just lost. Husband thinks he's got to trade in this for that. I mean, it's just, it's crazy what happens. So, this world, and he says, "In this world, listen, it's passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever." You can get caught up in the wonder of this world and its empty promises. It's full of lies. We just read over there that we're going to talk about this inheritance that we're going to receive when this life is over, and it it is beyond description. But you're saying. I'm settling for the wonder of this world. I'll settle for this. Everybody can know my name. Everybody can say I'm this. Why is it you see Hollywood movie stars, man, they were were beautiful, handsome when they were young, and now they're like this. Dude can't shut his eyelids, you know, because he's still trying to compete with the 20-year-olds. This world is passing away. The next one is this. Sin. What does sin do? Well, Isaiah 59, I'll just read this. You don't got to turn there. He says, He said, Behold, the Lord's hand is, is not shortened, that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated, have, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You may be in sin today. You may be knowingly and willingly in sin this morning. And you're like, I, I don't, I'm not feeling this wonder. Well, you're not going to feel this wonder. You're not going to feel this joy that's inexpressible. Now what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to come to the place where you acknowledge to God that you are in sin. You're going to have to confess that. You're going to have to repent of that to be in right relationship with Him. Now, I'm not talking about positionally. Positionally, if you're a believer, even if you're in sin, positionally, you are His child. But if you're in sin, I want you to know your relationship is hampered. And you know, good and well, you're not going to find that joy. You're not going to find that wonder as long as you're in sin. The fifth one I've got, and this is the last one on this part. Abandoned love. In Revelation chapter 2. He says, to, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, To the angel of the church of, in Ephesus right, he said, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He said, I know your works, your toil, and your patience, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you've, you've tested those who call themselves apostles, and they're not, and found them to be False. He says, I know you are enduring patiently, and you're bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now, he's talking to a church, but that church is made up of individuals. And this may be you. This is where we get terms like the frozen chosen in reformed camps. We've got it all right doctrinally. We've put all the false teachers to the test, and they've, they've been found wanting And we've done away with them. We're doing everything according to what the Word says. Except one thing. He says, all of these things you're doing. But in verse 4, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. When I first became a believer, one of the things that stood out to me the most, and I came across this scripture in 1 John chapter 3, he says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. God had filled me with such a love for His people. Now, I'm going to say this. They may not have all been His people, but they professed to be the believers. And then I had a love for them. I mean... Let me tell you what kind of guy I was. I mean, I was raised up. We ran around most time with shorts on and no shirt and flip flops. Flip flops on a dressed up occasion. Most time we was barefoot. Once I got married, I didn't, you know, I didn't really pay attention to a lot, you know. That I'd be out mowing my yard. Now this is not according to OSHA's safety standards. Had a push mower, shorts on, flip flops, my sunglasses. Had such a love for the brethren. I had my headphones on. Some of y'all will know who I'm talking about. Jamming out to Betty Jean Robinson. What a day that will be. Sherry probably knows that song. This is old southern gospel type stuff. I mean, I'm rejoicing. And I see some brethren pull up from California. I'm sweating. I had on shorts. Not shorts like we wear today. I know Justin loves this part. They were shorts. Highly offensive shorts. But there's brethren. I'm over there welcoming them. They're, they're in shock. But I had that childlike faith. I might have been weird, but they couldn't deny that there was a love that was coming out of me, right? But what happens... What happens when all of a sudden we learn more and we learn more and we learn more and we love less? You see, this is where we've lost the wonder. Oh, we love the doctrines, don't we? We love the, the, the doctrines of grace. We love the five solas. We're in love with all of that, but we can't stand people. Well, do you know why you can't stand people? Because you have left your love for God. It's impossible to love God and you can't stand people. Impossible. Why? Because those people that you can't stand, God loves so much that He willingly gave His only begotten Son for them. But we're but we've got all the doctrine right. It's things like this is where the wonder is, is, is missing. And what did, he, what did he say to him there? He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember. Do you remember? I asked this question earlier. Do you remember when you first became a believer? You had such a love for God. You had such a love for the, His people, the brethren. And today you're saying, where did the wonder go? Well, I want you to turn to Second Peter. We were in 1 Peter. I want you to turn now to 2 Peter. It's like, what do we do? What do we do? You know, when you're dealing with the wonders of nature, like, like, you know, the mountains and stuff, we can understand it getting old. You know, you hike up that little trail to the waterfall, you do it 50 times, it, you know, you know every turn. You know what it's going to be like. You're going to feel the spray. Okay, we felt that. It's over. So you've got to go deeper into it. You've got to go further in there and you see, wow, I mean, you just keep coming over a hill and they tell me up there i didn't make it to these but there was lakes up in the mountains that are so clear that you can see the golden trout nobody fishes you can throw a hook with bubble gum on it and you're pulling out like four and five pound trout unless they're lying to me but it's just this mind-blowing a friend of mine that lived in montana for years went over this trail that people hike it's like a 26 mile hike And he said, I've lived there all them years, but I've never went over that past. And he said, it was unbelievable. The wonder. Well, part of the thing is this, is is when you come to Christ, you're, you're you're a newborn infant. You're a babe, as in a baby, okay, terminology today. You're like a baby. Listen to what he says here in Second Peter chapter 1. He's talking to the same group of people, by the way, as in 1 Peter. This is three years later. He says, His divine power has granted to us. This is verse 3, I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, I want to ask you something. You're sitting here sometimes going, I just, I just feel like I'm just not. No, no, no. God has given you all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Okay? He's given you His Holy Spirit. He's given you His Word. He's given you Church. He's given you Brethren. He's given you all of these things. The the gift of prayer. The gift of faith. He's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him, Christ, who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises, those are yours, those are mine, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, now listen to this, He says, make every effort to supplement your faith. In some of the versions it says, add to your faith. Supplement your faith with what? With virtue. Another way of saying it is moral excellence. And to this moral excellence, knowledge. He's talking about the kind of knowledge that Paul says, I've given up everything. Everything that was beneficial to me. Everything that was profitable to me. My heritage, you know, my, my, my rank amongst my own people, I've counted it all but refuse, but garbage, that I may win Christ. And he says later, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, being conformed to the sufferings of his death. Add to this moral excellence, knowledge of Christ. What he's talking about is you say, Well, I know Jesus. Go deeper into that. And he says, Where am I at? He says, Into knowledge, self control. Self control, church. Listen to me, young people. Some of the things you do, you ain't got no self control. You do everything to the, the most. You play games into the middle of the night and then you either don't come in for church or you drag yourself in. You're more into that. I mean there's no self control sometimes. It's self control, a steadfastness, a perseverance. A continuing. It's not when the trial comes and I stop and I just sit here and cry. No, it's getting up, it's continuing and on. It's believing in what he said. It's having as A.W. Tozer said, having your eyeballs stamped with eternity. You see these trials as bumps in the road that they're not keeping you from pursuing Christ. And to steadfastness, godliness. And all that we spend time on a vertical level. We're at His feet. We're like those men on the way to Emmaus when Jesus was walking with them, and He was opening the Scriptures to them, and their hearts burned within them. And to this godliness, He says, brotherly affection. He's talking about a love for one another. Do you know why it's impossible to say I love God and not love people? Because He says this, By this right here will all men know that you are My disciples. A disciple is like his master. He says, by the love that you have, one to another That's how they're going to know you're his disciples. It's not going to be by how much you know, it's not going to be by coming to church. Those may be indicators, but by that love. He said that is brotherly affection and brotherly affection, he says, add love. Now listen to this. He says, "For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffectual or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you you catch that? Oftentimes, you know it's possible to, to believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, but then not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. You can say, I believe the Bible is without error. But I don't believe it's sufficient for today. It was without error at that time. Do you know that the sovereign God never looked in the corridors of time and saw that His Word was going to be antiquated? It was going to come to... It wasn't just going to relate to us no more? Absolutely not. You want to know why there's no wonder sometimes? Well, have we, have we put into practice, do we believe that God's Word is sufficient for this? Do we believe to add these things, to supplement to our faith these things? That, so that... He said, if these are... If these qualities are you if they're in you and they're increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for whoever lacks these qualities now listen it's so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins When you lose the wonder of Jesus and you start the complaining, I thought I had just thought the other day. When you lose the wonder of Jesus, it leads to you wondering where the wonder went. And when you don't repent and turn, it leads you to wonder, WA, wander off into paths of sin. Here's the thing. Go back in in the corridors of your mind right now. Go back, and I want you to think about the day that you came to Christ. The joy that filled your heart. Where you were at. What happened when you knew that God had did a work in you? He says, do the first works. Have that childlike faith. You've grown. You know more. But return to the childlike faith. Faith, where when you come to that place, is in First Peter, he says that we have that joy that is inexpressible. It's so much, I can't even put it in words adequately that you could understand it. The only way I can understand what you're talking is because I know it from a reality. And we just go, it's awesome, isn't it? So here's what I can't tell you. I can't tell you you're never going to lose the wonder But I can tell you how it happens. And I can tell you how we get back there. How we come to that again. It's like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's all of a sudden... Isn't it amazing how we we don't have time for anything, right? I can't do this or this. I can't spend time with my kids. I can't do this. And then that child gets in an accident. And they're in the hospital and they don't know if we're going to live or die. And you know what happens? Everything stops in our life, doesn't it? And we are right there. And we are saying, Oh God, have mercy. I'm not going to neglect Him no more. How long are you going to let the busyness of life get in your way? How long are you going to let the world get in your way? How long are you going to be wandering and dabbling around in sin and let it get in the way? How long are you going to abandon love for God and get in the way that you don't know the wonder of knowing Jesus after everything that He has done for you in spite of you? And just so you'll know, I'm really just preaching to myself. Romans 12.1 says this. i got two more places and I'll be through. I'm just going to read them, not elaborate. Romans 12.1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. This is coming on the heels of the doctrine of everything God has done for us in salvation. And then in verse 12, he starts talking practically, and he says, I appeal. He says, I beseech, I am begging, I am pleading with you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed By the renewal of your mind, that by the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In the last place, in Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek The things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you are a believer today, it would be a good time for you to jog your memory, stir it up, See, that's what Peter went on to say. He said this. He's talking about these qualities. You'll be blind and you've forgotten you were cleansed from your former sins. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, listen, you will never fall. It's called discipline. It's called saying Christ is worth pursuing more than anything else. And he says, "...for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon." As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Peter was going to die soon. But he says, I want to stir your minds up. And that's what I'm exhorting you today. You have been begotten. You've been born again to a living hope. And unlike wonders of nature. Unlike the wonders of marriage. Unlike even the wonders of children. That change. They ebb and flow. Jesus Christ is always the same. But as we dig deeper, as we go deeper into Christ, we see His beauty even more so. And you know what? We will do that all through eternity. You will never come to a place where you have seen all there is of God. You will continue to grow and to de- and the wonder of, the- you will be in the wow, in the wonder, in the inexpressible joy for Eternity. Father, this morning, I want to come to you and I want to pray, God, that... This is not just some sermon, even for me, Lord, but I pray, God, that... I just believe, God, that you are speaking to people this morning. And I want to pray for everyone here that knows you, God, that we would go back and we would remind, we would stir up our minds. They would be stirred today. That your Holy Spirit would do that, God. That it would remind us and we would remember where we were at and what you saved us out of and what you've done for us. Just like that child. And I pray for those today that don't know you. That God, this would be the day that they say, I'm tired of carrying this burden. I'm tired of pretending to be a believer when I'm not. I'm tired of the arguments. And God, that they would put all that aside and they would leave it at the cross. And they would come to you in repentance and faith that they could find this wonder of knowing Christ. And I pray this in His name. Amen.